that I can give you. Now having said that, I want to say this. We do know that the Bible does have some bad news. I do not agree with a lot of folks today, you know, the smile happy crowd, that says we're not going to dwell on anything negative. We're not going to talk about the bad news. We just want to stay with the good news. Well, friend, understand me. You cannot understand the Bible's good news until you understand the bad news. Do you understand that? You have to understand what's bad before you know what is good. Now the Bible does tell us some bad news. It tells us that we're all sinners. That means that we have all disobeyed God. We have all fallen short of what God requires. And that's some bad news, folks, because the Bible tells us that the wages of that sin is death. That means separation. It brings physical death, but when it's done, it also, it brings spiritual death. That's eternal separation from God. That's definitely some bad news. The Bible tells us that those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, that have never surrendered their life to Him, never received Him as their Savior and Lord, that when they die, they're going to go to a place called hell. I'm telling you, that is definitely some bad news. So, I agree, there's some bad news in the Bible, but folks, listen to me, I'm happy to be able to tell you this morning that primarily and very poignantly in the Bible, what we have is not bad news, but good news. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 29, talking to the Christians in Rome, he said, When I came unto you, I came in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel or the blessing of the good news of Christ. So let's ask a couple of questions. What does it really mean when we talk about the good news? What is the good news? Well, let's go to the words of the Apostle Paul himself, words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 15. What I want to do is read the first uh, four or five verses, folks, and I want to read to you what Paul says about the gospel and explains the gospel. Then I want to talk about the gospel, about the good news, and I want to talk to you on and around the theme of that's the gospel, and it sure is good news. I want you to look with me, verse 1 again. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Verse 2, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to to the Scriptures. Now let's stop right there for a minute. Now folks, the reason that I want to talk to you about the good news <coughs> this morning is because my desire is I want every believer in this building today when you leave and walk out of this church house, if you're a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand what the Gospel is and I want you to be able to share that good news with lost folks that you come in contact with. But secondly, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then friend, I want you to know beyond any doubt when you walk out those doors that God has got some good news for you if you'll just receive it. Paul says, he explains the gospel to us there in verse 3. Now the first thing, folks, the good news. Number one, the gospel is the good news that Christ paid for our sins. Look at verse 3. Notice that phrase. It says Christ died for our sins. Now that's good news. 
He paid for our sins. So here's what I want to do. Let's talk about this person. Let's talk about this Christ who died and paid for our sins. Now, of course, the Bible tells us about the person of Christ and what you need to understand. And if you're a member of this church, you heard me say it before. I've preached on it before. What you need to grasp is this great truth, friend. Christianity is a relationship with a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity, friend, is not a set of rules. Christianity is not a religion. Again, it's a relationship with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you study the Bible, you're going to discover this person I'm talking about, he is a divine person. Think about the night that Nicodemus, one of the religious rulers of the day, he came to Jesus in John chapter 3. And in verse 2, he tells Jesus, he says, Teacher, we know that thou art a teacher or a rabbi come from God. Now Nicodemus had it all wrong. He had it backwards. Jesus was not a teacher come from God. Jesus was God that came down to teach. Jesus Christ was and is divine. Think about this, folks. We see the divineness in the Lord Jesus Christ throughout His life. I mean, we see it so much the fact that He was God as much as He was man. For instance, we read about Him healing people that were blind. He gave them their sight back. People that were lame. They walked again. People that were dead, He raised from the grave. Now friend, nobody can do that. So I want you to get, we're dealing with a divine person when Paul says Christ, when he's talking about Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the Gospel. But also we're dealing with a human person. Because notice verse uh, 3 again. Paul says Christ died for our sins. He is divine, and yet He's also human. He's as much God as if He's no man at all, and as much man as if He's no God at all. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word, now he's talking about Christ here, the Word is Christ, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That just simply means Jesus Christ became a man. Now friend, do you know how powerful and how important and how wonderful that is? Jesus Christ became a man. That means that Jesus Christ understands you and me. That means that what we face in life, Jesus Christ understands it because He faced it. That means that He cares for us. That means that whatever we experience in life, Jesus has been there. He understands. He can meet the deepest needs, friend, of your heart. The one who died, who paid for our sins, is a divine person. We see also... In other passages of Scripture, we see the divinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. For instance, think about the story in Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8. Jesus is on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Now being a man, he was tired and weary from his journeys. What did he do? He went down in the front of the boat to take a nap. He went to sleep. A storm came up on the Sea of Galilee. What did the disciples do? They were terrified. They ran to Jesus and woke Him up. Said, Master, do you not care that we perish? Now as a man, Jesus was tired and needed sleep. But as God, He could say, peace, be still. And immediately, the wind and the waves obeyed His command. How about John chapter 4? Jesus is at the, the well of Jacob. And He meets a woman there and He tells this woman, He says, how about give me a drink of water? Now as a man... Jesus was thirsty again from His travel. 
But as God, He could say to this woman, if you'll take of the living water that I offer, you will never thirst again. This to me, the good news, the gospel, is about the person of Christ. Look again at verse 3. Paul says Christ died. That particular word for death or died there, that's a word in the Greek that carries the idea of a violent, a horrific death. So listen to me, and I think you know this, but let me drive the point home. When Jesus died, He did not die in the soft confines of an assisted living center. He did not die in a hospital room surrounded by elaborate equipment with drugs to alleviate His pain. Friend, when Jesus Christ died, He died outside the city of Jerusalem at a dusty, dirty place called Calvary. And when He died on that cross, it was a violent death. And He died before the taunting cries of an evil world. He died before the, the gazing, godless eyes of a wicked world. Think about it. Just think about what Jesus faced from a physical standpoint. The cross. He was abused. He was tried, first of all, in a kangaroo court. Then he was taken and abused and beaten, tied up, stripped, and scourged. From that point, he was taken out and thrown on the streets of Jerusalem, and his body was a bloody ribbon. They took a rough-hewn cross and laid it across his shoulders and told him, carry your cross. Carry the instrument of crucifixion. And they mocked and they ridiculed. They spit upon him. They kicked him. They abused him. They put a crown of thorns on him. And you can no doubt hear those huge thorns scrape the skull as they rammed it down on top of his head. Then he got to Calvary and they laid him on that cross. And he spread his arms on the beam. They drove spikes through his hands, through his feet. They stood him up to mock him and make fun of him and to watch him die. They watched him struggle for every breath that he took. Then they took a spear and pierced his chest cavity. And Jesus died. Now friend, just think about that. No one has ever suffered the way Jesus suffered. And I know you've heard that before. People say, well, you know, other people were crucified. You're absolutely right. But when I talk about Jesus' suffering, friend, I'm not just talking about the physical suffering. Now, I'm going to get theologically deep with you for a minute, so hang on and hear me out, okay? Listen to what I'm telling you. Jesus, He did not just suffer and die physically, friend. He suffered and died spiritually. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, it was God dying on the cross. It was no normal death. It was the death of God for the sins of the world. Jesus was divine. Now you say, how is that possible, preacher? Explain that. I can't explain it. And listen to me. Anybody that says they can, they're lying to you. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. I remember the story of Martin Luther, the great uh, theologian. He spent one day contemplating the very words that Jesus spoke from the cross when He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he spent hours contemplating that. Hours contemplating it. Then one of his servants finally heard him say, God forsaking God. Who can possibly understand that? I'm going to tell you it's impossible. I can't explain and understand it. You can't and nobody else can either. Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking about this very thing, said in 1 Timothy 3, 16, he said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. 
The gospel songwriter, I think, hit it best when he said, None of the ransomed ever knew how dark were the waters crossed, nor how deep was the night that the Lord passed through ere He found His sheep that was lost. Humanity, we will never, ever grasp the depth of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. You say, well, I've seen Mel Gibson's movie years ago, The Passion. Don't even hold a candle to what really happened. We cannot grasp it. Do you know, but friend, it's good news. The good news is, Jesus went to the cross. On the cross, He died and paid the price on the cross for our sins. He paid the price that we owed that we could never pay. And He did that to reconcile us to a righteous and a holy God. Now notice what Paul says. He died for our sins. That's why He died. So there's the problem right there. Look back at verse 3 again. Notice what Paul says. I got excited and turned the wrong page. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Now do you see those two words right there? Folks, He died for our sins. You know what that's saying? That is saying that He died for your sins personally. He died for my sins personally. Now I do realize we're living in a day and age in a world where nobody wants to take responsibility for their behavior. Y'all look at me like a calf at a new gate. Is that not true? We're living in society again. People don't want to take any responsibility for what they do. They, they want to be a victim. I mean, they'll say things like, well, I did what I did because I'm a victim. I did what I did because it was somebody else's fault. You know, they'll say, well, when I was a baby... Mom didn't let me throw my oatmeal off the tray into the floor. And that scarred me psychologically. They'll say, when I was six years old, in my first day of school, they made me come in ten minutes early off the playground. Ever since that time, psychologically and emotionally, I have been scarred. Give me a break. We always want to blame somebody else. We want to blame somebody else, anybody else, other than ourselves. I heard about a guy who went to see a psychiatrist. Maybe you heard this story. He walked in the door with a strip of bacon over each ear and a fried egg on his head. He said, Doc, I'm here to see you about my wife. She's got some serious problems. <laughs> we always want to blame somebody else. But folks, Paul makes it real clear where the problem is. The problem is our sins. That's the problem. That's the Goliath, friend. The giant in your life that keeps you powerless. Your sins. That's the anchor around your neck that holds you back and holds you down. Your sins. Your defiance and your rebellion against God. But hey, I got some good news for you this morning. When Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, the Bible tells us that He paid for our sins. He conquered that sin. He died on the cross and that's good news. Christ paid our price that we owed. I want you to see the second thing Paul says. The gospel is the good news that Jesus paid for our sins, but it continues. Notice the next phrase. It says, uh, not only did He die for our sins, but look at verse 4. And that He was buried. Now there's the second phrase. The gospel is the good news that Christ not only paid for our sins, but He put away our sins. 
Let me explain to you folks, he was buried. When you read the gospel account, you find there's no question whatsoever that Jesus Christ, he really did die, and he really was buried. Now you may be surprised, but I challenge you to do this. Look at John chapter 19, not right now, but when you get home or sometime this week, study through John chapter 19, and I want you to notice the last part of that chapter. Those verses speak so much about the body of Jesus Christ. It's almost like the Holy Spirit's hammering home, driving home the point that Jesus was literally buried in that tomb, that He really did die, and He really was buried. You know, for years, one of the theories and all the absurd theories that people come up with to uh, explain away the empty tomb, and I've heard, I guess, about all of them they've come up with over the years, in the past 30 years. But one of my favorites they come up with was called the swoon theory. You ever heard that one? That is that Christ did not die on the cross. He just swooned. He fainted. They put Him in the tomb, and the cold tomb revived Him. He regained consciousness. Y'all ain't even laughing about that. I laughed first time I read that years ago. How ridiculous is that? That a man who's been abused and beaten and whipped and crucified and stabbed through the chest with a spear faints, is put in a tomb and lays there for three days, regains consciousness, moves a thousand pound stone and incapacitates the guards and walks away. Okay, enough said about that nonsense. Listen to me, friend. All the records are very clear. Not just the biblical records, but historical documents. They're undeniable. They're unquestionable. Jesus Christ literally died on that cross and was buried in that tomb. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I, I want you to listen very carefully. Do you realize that when Jesus was put in that tomb, He wasn't the only person in that tomb? You say, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was millions of people in that tomb with him. Matter of fact, this may shock you to find out, but folks, I was in that tomb with Jesus when he was buried there. You say, it's finally happened. The preacher's lost his mind. The choo-choo's gone around the bend. No. Let me give you scripture. You ready? Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. I can prove it to you. Paul says, therefore we are, and actually when he says we, he's talking to Christians. So if you're a believer, this applies to you. He says again, Romans 6 and verse 4. <clears throat> he says, therefore we are, and that word are is better translated as were. So, therefore we were buried with Him by baptism into death. That, what that's saying, folks, is spiritually 2,000 years ago when Christ died and was buried, your sins, Christian, my sins, were buried with Him in the tomb. You say, why is that good news? How come that's part of the gospel? Why did Paul include that? It's simple, friend. It's simple. It means that when Jesus was buried, He was dead. And it verified His word that He spoke. So what do you mean by that? How many times, in one way, shape, form, or fashion, did Jesus tell people, well, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, but in three days, I'm going to rise again. But they never caught it. It always went over their head. Yet after the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead, the angel said to the people that came to the tomb, said, He's risen, as He said. He's risen. Friend, His Word was verified. But let me say this. His, his work was vindicated. You say, what work? Well, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Did God the Father accept the work of God the Son on the cross? 
Well, three days later, Jesus, when he died, three days later, was raised from the tomb. And let me make this real clear. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, friend, that was God's. Amen. That was God's. So be it. To the message Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The work of redemption is done. Salvation's plan is complete. And when Jesus rose that third day, God was saying, Amen. I agree 100%. His work was vindicated. Paul says in Romans 4 verse 25, that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Friend, that's good news. That means your sins have been or they can be forgiven. That means you, friend, can be right with God. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? I'm speaking to your heart this morning. Your sins, if you're a believer, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven. That's good news, amen? No longer separated from God. Sometimes I think we have a hard time believing that our sins are truly forgiven. I mean, by the very fact that Jesus was buried in the tomb means that God has put away our sins. He's fully dealt with our sins. We have, through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin. Now, friend, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven. So here's what I want to tell you. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your sins are gone. Accept that. Rejoice in that. Walk out the doors of this church this morning saying, Man, I got some good news today. My sins have been forgiven. I'm justified before God through Jesus Christ. That's the best news I can give you. It means not only sins are forgiven, it also means that those sins are forgotten. I love Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 34. It says, for I'll forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. God says, I've forgotten your sins. You know what? Others may not forget your sins in your past life. Others may not forget all that. Uh, and, and it seems like there are some people, I don't know if you know anybody like this, but there are some people, they take great joy in bringing up our past failures, our past sins and mistakes. You know anybody like that? Don't all nod at once. I think all of us know somebody like that. They take great joy in that. They want to dwell on the past. I want you to listen to me. If Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins, He has forgotten those sins, friend. So move on. Forget about those people. Sometimes we have a problem with people like that. It reminds me of the guy I heard about talking to his buddy. He said, man, you know when my wife and I, we have a disagreement and get in an argument, he said, my wife gets very historical. His friend said, no, you mean hysterical. He said, oh, no, historical. She brings up everything wrong I've ever done in my life. Let me say this to you. If you're married, don't do that. In any relationship, that's detrimental. And do you realize, especially if you're a Christian, listen to me. Do you realize when you bring up the past, you're acting more like Satan because that's what he does. You're acting more like Satan than you are Jesus. And then sometimes, folks, we have a problem not with us, we have a problem with ourselves. We can't let go. We want to dwell on the past. We can't get over our sins. We can't truly grasp the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven and forgotten our sins. But God says, I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Understand, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, your sins are buried in that tomb. They're buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness. That's good news. Good news. Third and final thing I want you to see. Jesus not only paid for our sins... Died on the cross. He not only put away our sins, He was buried in the tomb, but friend, He prevailed over our sins. 
Because when I ask you, in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, there at verse 4, it says, and that he was buried. Now, what kind of punctuation mark do you have after the word buried? Is it a period? Not if it's a good English translation, I promise you it's not a period. In my view, it's a comma. It's a comma. You say, well, what does that mean? Listen to me. If the message of the Bible was that Christ died on the cross and He was buried, period, we really don't have a whole lot of good news to share. But listen to me. I got a comma in my Bible, friend. The next phrase says, and that He rose again the third day. Friend, do you realize the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the indisputable fact that He is who He said He was and He did what He said He would do. The resurrected Lord, he, and what He does, He says to science, explain me. He says to the grave, prevent me. He says to technology, duplicate me. He says to history, repeat me. He says to unbelief, disprove me. But friend, He says to you and to me, believe me. Trust me. Believe that I rose from the grave and you'll be saved. He arose. We sang that song. I love that old song we sang a while ago. Three days and three nights, friend. He was dead in that tomb. His body lay in that tomb, wrapped in the grave clothes, laid on that cold stone slab. But I'm going to tell you, just as the sun began to break over the horizon that first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus got up off that cold stone slab. He folded the grave clothes that covered His body and He placed them in their appropriate place. And then Jesus, standing to His feet, reached up to His right where death was sitting on the throne with a sneer on His face, a crown on His head, and a scepter in His hand. And Jesus took death by the nap of the neck and threw Him to the tomb floor. He put His heel in death's throat and He bent down and pulled out the sting. And then Jesus picked up the crown that fell from death's head and put it on His head where it rightfully belongs. He picked up the scepter that death dropped and He secured it in His hand where it rightfully belonged. Because listen to me, friend, Jesus Christ is not just Lord of life, He's King over death. And then Jesus walked out of a borrowed tomb back into life saying as He departed death. Where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that's good news. Death holds no power over me anymore. I mean, ain't you glad? Ain't, sorry, I slipped. Aren't you glad for that first Easter Sunday morning? But I'm going to repeat what I said earlier. Every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Because every Sunday is the Lord's Day. Every time that people gather together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, friend, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that? And so many people come to church every Sunday with a long face like they've been baptized in embalming fluid. How many times you heard me say it? We are not coming to mourn a corpse, but to hail a king and a conqueror. Death couldn't hold him. I want you to notice real quick, verse 5. It says that Jesus was seen. He was seen publicly. Uh, it says He was seen by the twelve. You read on down through these verses. He was seen by the apostles. Uh, he was seen by 500 at one time in one place. 
Now, I know there are people who say, well, you know, all those people said they saw Jesus. They were just hallucinating. Okay. One or two, maybe, but 500 at the same time with the same hallucination? I'm not buying what you're selling. I don't believe it. Then, notice it says that he was seen of Cephas in verse 5. That's Simon Peter. You remember old Simon Peter? Peter who said, Jesus, others may forsake you, but I'll go with you all the way to the grave. Jesus said, that's good, Peter, because I'm about to die. But I'm telling you, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And before that rooster crowed, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. Now, can you imagine the broken heart that Peter had? Can you imagine the pain that was in his life? Can you imagine what he was going through? I denied my Lord. They crucified Him. He's dead. But you know what, folks? When Jesus rose from the dead on that, that resurrection morning, Mark chapter 16 tells us that the women came to the tomb and what did the angel tell them? Go and tell His disciples and tell Peter also. Friend, that's good news. You say, why? Because you know what that tells me? That tells me Jesus cares about the multitude. Yes. But He also he cares and He knows specifically about individuals. Tell Peter also. That's good news. Then verse 7 says he was seen of his half-brother. He was seen of James. Now James is Jesus' half-brother. James is the one that wrote or penned the words God gave him to the book of James in the Bible. And you read the book of James. James does not call himself the brother of Jesus. You know what James calls himself? A slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why that is? Because, friend, he saw the resurrected Lord. And I'm going to tell you, right, clear, straight, and plain, once you have an encounter with the living, resurrected Lord, it changes everything. You're never the same again. Verse 8, notice Paul brings up the rear. He says, at last of all, he was seen to me also as one, uh, as of one born out of due time. Now notice that phrase, out of due time, born out of due time. That's the only place in all the Scripture it's used. And there have been people argue about it over the years. What is Paul talking about? What does Paul mean? Well, to me, the Greek terminology is fascinating but very specific. One born out of due time is the Greek word for a dead fetus. So what Paul is saying is, I was an abortion. I was born before time. I was, I was born dead. He said, my religion, it left me dead. I was dead until I met Jesus Christ. Paul on the Damascus Road, remember, he was Saul at that time, not Paul. He was Saul, the persecutor of the church. He was trying to destroy the church. He was putting Christians in prison and having them killed. And Saul is on the Damascus Road and a bright light knocks him to his knees. And you remember what happened? He had an encounter with the living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecute me? Saul said, who are you, Lord, and what do you want? And heard the voice come back and said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecute. You know, the, and think about how amazing this was to Paul. The very Jesus Paul thought was dead was alive. And after that encounter, friend, Paul, Saul was never the same again. He went from Saul, which name means big guy, to Paul, which means little guy. And instead of a persecutor and a killer of the church, he became the greatest pioneer and spokesman and church planner the New Testament church has ever known. 
Why? Because he had a confrontation with the living Lord. Here's what I want you to grasp. The same Jesus who appeared to all those guys, the same Jesus that changed their lives, the same Jesus that appeared to Paul and changed his life is the same Jesus who for thousands of years now have been changing lives and making people new again. And friend, He can do the same thing for you. That's good news. You say, yeah, I know that good news. Well, then my next question is, can you tell a lost person that good news? You should be. The good news is Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried to put away our sins. He rose again from the dead to justify us. He is alive forevermore. And we sang a song about Him being alive two songs a while ago. But I think about that song, Because He Lives... I can face tomorrow because Jesus Christ lives. Because He come out of that grave that first Easter Sunday morning, we can face the future, friend. We can face eternity. We can face death with certainty. Why? Because He lives. That's why. Whatever we face in life, we know we got a living Savior to see us through it. That's some good news, friend. I want you to one final thing real quick. Look back at first, uh, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's talking about the gospel, the good news being delivered to him. And he says, good news, which you're saved by receiving the good news. He says, that is, unless you believed in vain. Now listen real carefully. What does it mean to believe in vain? It means to have a head knowledge, but not a heart belief. You know, the Apostle Paul who penned the words here to 1 Corinthians also penned the words to the book of Romans. He says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is how you save, plain and simple. And Paul says again in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15, by which also you are saved unless you believed in vain. So think about that verse again in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 9. Paul says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your head... Is that what he said? No. He said, Believe in your heart you'll be saved. Friend, there is a great, tremendous difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. You say, Preacher, what's the difference between believing something in your head and believing in your heart? One simply knowledge, the other is faith. That's the difference, and that makes all the difference in the world. Let me explain it this way. I'll use an illustration, old illustration, but, uh, and maybe you've seen it and heard of it before. But let me do it like this. Let me ask you a question. See this chair right here? You think this will hold me up if I sit down in it? Most of you say yes. Some of you are doubting. I can see it in your face. <clears throat> I mean, Damon could have come here and took screws out of it. I don't know. But you think this chair will hold me? I believe it will hold me. It looks sturdy. I believe in my head. That chair will hold me. Yeah, yeah. That's a good chair. It's solid. I believe it. Now let me ask you, am I sitting in that chair? Am I sitting in the chair? No. No, I'm not. It's not enough, friend, to have the knowledge in my head and to believe in my head. What do I have to do? Look at that. Look at that. Listen to me, friend. There's a vast difference between believing in your head and knowing in your heart. See, just knowing about in your head, that's believing in vain. 
but knowing with your heart, that's faith. That's trusting by faith. Now, there are many of you here this morning, a lot of folks, and I'm sure there are many of you, you have believed in your head. You know all about Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I believe everything that you preach this morning. I believe He died for my sins. I believe He was buried. I believe He rose again. Well, my question is, have you acted on that belief? You see, that's what faith really is. Belief put into action. Have you acted on it? Many of you here this morning, you know all about Jesus. I'm going to tell you what I've said so many times over the years. It doesn't matter what you know about Him. What matters is, do you know Him? Have you had an encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus Christ? If not, you need to have that encounter this morning. More than the head knowledge, you need to believe in your heart. I didn't say head knowledge and come to church. Head knowledge and be baptized. Head knowledge and donate money. Head knowledge and do good works. Mm Mm-mm. Give up on all that nonsense because it won't save you. If that's what you're trusting, you're as close to heaven as you're going to get right now. I'm talking about surrendering your life. Believing with all you got in Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you. He took away your sins. He rose again to justify you before God. Trust Him. That's the gospel. And friend, I'm telling you, that is good news. You bow your heads, please. Just a moment, Miss Teresa is going to play, and Brother All is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. The altars in front of the church are open. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is your opportunity. Maybe you've been fooling yourself and others for years and years. But you've never come to a point and a place in your life where you've had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. You need to do that this morning. Maybe you're here and you've had that encounter, but you've been living a life that is far from the life that Jesus saved you to live. Friend, you need to come back home. You need to come back to the foot of the cross. Let Jesus restore your joy. Let Jesus restore your life to you. Maybe you're here, you're looking for a church home. God's leading you this way. By all means, step out, walk down the aisle, come and talk to me. Whatever decision you need to make, this is your opportunity. Right now, Brother Alton. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're patient with us. That you're long-suffering. I pray for those that need to make a decision that they would already be stepping out to make that decision. They concerned about what other people think or say. But Father, every heart here would only be concerned about what you think and what you say. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?